Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Loud Spot. I'm your host, Sebastian. I'm uh, <laughs> the Loud Spot. I think I said the Loud Spot already. With Pantheon Podcast Network. I totally screwed up my intro, but that's okay. We are here with Bill Willard. Uh, what I would think is a Titanic expert. So let's get this show going. Here we go. I'm here with Bill Willard. And uh, before we get the show started, I do want to remind everyone to please check us out on all podcasting platforms and our YouTube channel, Bill Willard a Titanic expert. He has a book that he has compiled and wrote right here. And I don't know if you can see it with the lights. Let's see our story. And it's about the Titanic and this piece right there, Bill, before we get started, that is called, well, you can't really see it with the light there. The big, the big piece. That's it. That's the big piece that we raised in 1998. You can see it behind me, what it looks like while it's on display in the museum. That's the big piece. So, okay. So I'm not a huge Titanic expert, but you are. And the the 1998 expedition, from what I gathered from the book, uh, is kind of a continuation of something that happened in 1996. Correct. The company that owns the rights to recover the artifacts wanted to get a signature piece. They wanted to recover something that was symbolic, that could stand alone and and people could look at and realize it's more than just a piece of iron or it's more than just something off the bottom of the ocean. And they chose big piece. And it was uh, attempted in 1996. I was out there as an observer and due to uh, a failure of one of the components, uh, one group was supposed to come out and, and, and be ready to raise a 17 ton piece of, of iron uh, they did not uh, do their job. So the big piece had to go back down to the bottom of the ocean because all of a sudden Hurricane Edward came and hit. So they had to put the big piece back down. So immediately they started planning on 1998. 
making sure that they had the right people, the right equipment, people that were willing to do the right things to get it up. I was a part of that expedition. And what the book is about is our successes, our failures, our memories. I call it our story because I've contacted as many people as I could that were on the expedition. Now, the book's been out a few, four years. So this came out uh, four years ago. Right. In 2018. And I said, I'm writing our story. I'm writing about the expedition. Send me paragraphs of great things, happy things, sad things, anything that you want to tell. And I'm going to try to include as many of them as I can in the book. And my publisher, who was in Oklahoma, she thought this was such a novel idea because it's got my words. I'm, I'm introducing, I'm talking about topics, I'm segueing to other topics. But then I put their phrases and their paragraphs and their thoughts. So you get to read everybody's take on a lot of this, you know, all the people that submitted things. And it gave them a chance to be published in the book as well. So I was really proud of that. I was extremely happy that we could mention all those names and we could share, uh, you know, different components. We had the Discovery Channel, NBC, Stardust Visuals, RMS Titanic Incorporated, Inframare, and I'm leaving out tons of them. And there are a lot of individuals and all of these people were the best at what they did. And sometimes we had some choppy water. Sometimes we had things that had to be worked out and resolved. And there were some, some, um, issues that came up but the main product is that piece that you see behind me now and it's in the Luxor Museum in Las Vegas and it's in the Titanic Artifact Exhibition and so what what why why is the big piece so important is it is it just the biggest piece recovered uh from from the wreckage great question really good question it is the biggest piece that is recovered from the wreck but it stands for a lot more than just the side of the ship. I'm going to hold up my visual here. Okay. okay. I, had a, I did a presentation at a school and the teacher did a 3D print of Titanic model. And it's wonderful. I'll use this. But this piece came from the starboard side, which I'm looking at the starboard would be the side that your viewers can see. Okay. It's from this area between the third and the fourth funnel. It's right in here. And it stood for more than just this piece. It stood for 2,208 people who had a story and a reason to be on that ship. Each of those people had families. Each of those people had jobs. They had friends that did not go on board that ship. 712 of them survived till the next day. 1,496 did not. And when you when you you called me an expert, thank you very much for that accolade. There are so many people that have been doing this longer than I have. I've been doing it 48 years. But there's so many people that have been doing it longer. They've talked to more people. They've Their expertise is in such different areas. So um, I'm an enthusiast and a historian. And I've taken it upon myself to try to share as many of those stories as I can. If you think third class steerage is what it was called. These were the poor people. I would have been a steerage passenger, no doubt about it. Some of the Irish people that were on board, for example, a ticket cost seven pounds in 1912. Okay. 
$1,000 today, roughly. But these families would have to work for two and three years to save up that money to put a daughter or a son on the ship to America to start a new life. They had to have somebody in America that would take them in and at least make sure they had a place to live and food until they could get started working and things like that. So we're talking this was a facilitator of changing lives. Okay. It was the vehicle to get there. And all those stories are so important. What you talked, uh, I guess to me about when we first, before we did this episode, I, I think we talked on the phone briefly and you were saying something about true versus false. There's, there's maybe books or movies portrayed out there or stories about the Titanic that aren't true. The, and, and, I, to me, I wouldn't know what those were, but what, what maybe one of the biggest things or biggest lies that you've heard about the ship that you would like to debunk, if there are, if there is any. Good question. Also, there's right now a TikTok episode going around of this this young lady, and she is talking about it's not Titanic on the bottom of the ocean; it's really the Olympic. Oh, God. there was a switch. And it was a conspiracy. Anything that's listed as a conspiracy puts people into a passion frenzy these days. Yep. And a lot of it is bogus. Um, Hooey is what I call it. I'm from the South. Hooey is what you do not want to step in when you run around in a pasture. Okay. But this switch theory occurred because an English person, person from, from the UK, Robin Gardner, saw some photographs and then he saw video from the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. and the photographs looked the same, but the photograph was a different ship. And so it was the wrong ship and things of that nature. And so he developed this switch theory that when the Olympic, which was the first of the three sisters, Olympic, Titanic, then Britannic, when Olympic was built, um, it was sailing along and it collided on the bow with the HMS Hawk British warship, the Hawk made a puncture into several decks. Some of the people on board perished, but they had to take Olympic in to get fixed because you can't sail across the North Atlantic with a three or four deck can opener puncture into the side of your ship. So that is where the conspiracy alleged to have begun. Um, Doesn't doesn't it upset you or, or annoy you? When you're, you, you know, I, and I call you an expert, you know, a whole lot more than I do. And I think a lot of people would call you an expert, whether there's people doing it longer, 48 years is nothing to scoff. At. I mean, that's over half a lifetime, obviously. So yes, I would say you are an expert. I don't, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So doesn't it really annoy you? Conspiracy theories are something that every day there's a new conspiracy, whether the earth is flat or whether there's, I mean, there's theories that I, I even uh, agree with uh, the Titanic one, not being one of them. Uh, uh, but like the Mandela effect and all kinds of different things, but being an expert uh, on the Titanic, do, how mad does it make that? Like, do you want to reach out to her and be like, listen, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, the, the part that gets me is that, there are people that come in and go, I've just read about this conspiracy theory. Is this true? <laughs> and then we, that's a legitimate question because yeah. if you're just starting out, you may want to know, is there anything to this? And there will be someone who will say, here's the reasons why it's not true. A, B, C, D, E. 
Uh, for example, two authors, two friends of mine, Mark Chernside in the UK and Steve Hall in Australia. Uh, Oz, he's from down under. Uh, he's got a great accent. Um, but they have written, each of them, an independent book. And both of them go into all these details, disproving switch theory. And uh, both of them are outstanding reads. But we'll tell someone this and they'll go, no, you're wrong. It's I believe it. It's true. They did this and they will argue with proven facts. Um, when we've recovered artifacts, now the big piece doesn't have it like the one behind me, but other artifacts on the bottom of the ocean are marked with the number 401. When the ships were being built, Olympic was number 400. Titanic was the next ship, so it was hold, uh, keel number 401. Oh. So everything going to Olympic was marked with 400. You know, they're going to buy things in bulk, just like right. everybody does. Right. They want to go get everything in bulk. So all these marked 400 get put in front, and 401 gets put later. So the 400 things go on the first ship. 401 goes on Titanic. The artifacts recovered from the bottom of the ocean are all marked with 401. Now, no one in their right mind is going to say they're going to take apart this ship, take apart the other ship, switch parts, right. rebuild, and then put it back out on the ocean. That is dumb is the first word that comes to mind. It's ridiculous. Right. I think they're going to do that. The second thing about switch theory, there were 15,000 people that worked at these shipyards. Don't tell me that 15,000 people were able to keep a secret for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Never let this slip for any reason whatsoever. One of them would have taken five buddies, says, you give us all 500 pounds, we're going to tell you a great story, and we're going to, all five of us, are, I'll swear to it. You know, somebody would have revealed this sometime during their lifetime, had it been done. And nobody ever had any close to this, anything close. So, was, the, was, was the Titanic movie, was that pretty accurate as far? I, I don't know how many facts were in there and how much of it was movie, but the facts that were in there, were they pretty good? Were they decent? I loved the movie. I okay. love James, James Cameron's movie. I call it Jack and Rose on the Love Boat. That is my pet name for it. Um, if you take out the Jack and Rose and Cal Hockley and Le Coeur de la Mer and everything like that, Cameron went to extreme detail to make the backgrounds and the sets and the rooms and the carpets and the plateware and the ornate things on, pardon me, on the walls and all of that stuff as accurate as possible. He brought in some, uh, some of the best historians and um, artists who had uh, recreated these um, paintings and who had just to make sure that everything in the background was accurate. And if you remove the Jack and Rose part, it was fan fabulous, the job that he did telling that story. Um, there's so many real things that he placed in. Here's one that, that your readers may not know. This was a secret. Um, wasn't, he, he just didn't think about it, uh, announcing it. At least I'd never seen it announced. The real Titanic struck an iceberg at 11.37 p.m. It foundered. It went under the water at 2.20 a.m. That's two hours and 43 minutes. Okay. If your viewers go watch this movie, it's in the theaters now. I went to see it again in the theaters because it may be the last time it'll be in a theater in my lifetime. And plus they upgraded it to this new 4K and 3D and it was really impressive. But if you start your timer when the ship hits the iceberg 
and you run it until the Jack and Rose ride the ship down into the water and stop the timer, it's two hours and 43 minutes. The amount of time the ship sank in the movie was the real time wow. that the real ship sank. You, you would think they would, you would think that they would have that part accurate, uh, you know. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick sponsored break, and then we'll be right back, and I have quite a few more questions for you. So here we go with our sponsored break, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, and we are back with Bill Willard. And once again, let's get let's show his book. I dimmed my light a little bit. Now you still can't see it. This stupid thing. There it is. If I turn it that way, our story, and it says at the bottom, and you can buy it on Amazon. Um, is it also in bookstores? Is it is it like at Barnes and Nobles or anywhere else? You can do it through Barnes, the website of Barnes and Noble and Amazon, both of them. Um very, very available there, both of those. And I, I, I do like in the book, if you go about halfway through, there's a bunch of different pictures in here with little uh, paragraphs or sentences under them as to what everything was. So I think one of them has the big piece. There's one that's just like a bird. <laughs> there's a bird. Did you take all these? Did you, did you take these pictures or were they given to you by the people that helped you compile this book? The pictures were taken by somebody on the exp- people that were on the expeditions okay. who gave the gave us permission to use those. Uh, Gunter Bobler is a, a Swiss Titanic person. Uh, Gunter's a great fella and an outstanding cameraman, and so um, very graciously he allowed us to use those photos, and we'll use those in presentations because he was you know such a great place at a great time. And uh, I was very appreciative of him letting us use those. You know, I want to thank you for coming on here. Super nice guy also, and just very knowledgeable. And for me to not know that much about the Titanic, I remember learning about it in high school. In fact, one of our high school teachers could have sworn that he had died in the Titanic and was rebirthed on this planet because he had all kinds of just, he, I mean, he was a lifelong studier of the Titanic also. Is that something you run across? Um, people that believe that they are reincarnated and had died on the ship before Facebook, um, we had internet forums 
And I was a member of one forum where there were two people that believed they were the same reincarnated person. And they got into incredible hissy fit cat fights. Well, I had a horse named Horatio when I was young. Well, and I had a dog named whatever. And they would get into this back and forth and we would sit there and just howl over those things. And so one fellow historian decided he was going to play a trick on them. And he found the family site where they were all both getting their information. And he went in and talked to the owner of the site and he put with new research and he put down favorite food and, and I hurt, I have a scar on my knee. That's the shape of a heart because I got hurt doing, you know, he put about 10 or 12 bogus facts and it was two days later, uh, they started coming back and using the bogus stuff with each other. And that's how they were. They were. Oh, my God. That is that's great. He set them up and it was <laughs> it was royal. But um, the interesting thing about the reincarnated people is they're always a famous person. Nobody is ever reincarnated from a third class passenger that nobody knows little about. That's true. Um, so it's always the famous people. I am the reincarnation of William Murdoch. I am the reincarnation of Bruce Ismay. And the battling Ismays was what went down in legend. You know, that that story now, even 30 years later, brings up, uh, I remember that, you know, and we'll have a great conversation at some of the Titanic conferences. I th- you know, I think everything, I, I don't know if it's true or not, obviously, but I feel anyways, a lot of people just think they're super important, even if they're, everyone's important in their own way, but everyone likes to feel like they're significant. So comparing themselves or wanting to be somebody famous in history gives them that feeling of importance. If they're just your average Joe uh, today, that's probably the reason why no one just says, you know, there was some guy named Matthew, uh, (laughs) you know, from, Whatever, no, no. Matthew from Ireland, and and yeah. uh, I was twenty two years old. No, nobody liked that. Nobody. No, no, no one cares about that guy. Okay, uh, you mentioned earlier survivors, and you mentioned the the number of survivors that had survived the next day. So, how many people died on? The, and this is gonna be a few part question here. How many people died that day the ship sank? There were 2,208 people on board, 2,208. Okay. Um, One of the interesting facts is that Titanic was not completely full. It was about half full. It would have been much worse had the ship been filled with passengers. Mm. So that, in a way, was a blessing that it was not completely full. Um, When the ship sank, the lifeboats were – people were put in the lifeboats – um, in the next morning, 712, about a third, okay. were recovered and survived. 1,496 okay. did not. Okay. So 1,496 people died that day. And it, it went down in, at, I guess, nighttime would have been uh, the hardest part to survive. It was, it was nighttime when the ship sank, correct? 2.20 a.m. on the morning of April 15th. That took two hours and what forty three minutes or fifty three minutes, something like that. Two forty three to go down. Okay, okay so two forty three to go down, and seven hundred and twelve right were recovered. Out of that seven hundred twelve, how many lived? Did anyone die like the next day from hypothermia, or did they all survive? There were two people that died within the first month, 
And it is believed that both died because they never recovered from the, the cold. Um, one of those was Archibald Gracie and the other one was a, a young, younger child. Okay. And um, I could tell you the name. I think it was a Nakid child. It was a very young one. I'd have to research that. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. My memory doesn't have that quick access like it used to. I have to flip to double check things nowadays. My my run on Jeopardy has, has ended long ago with being able to call up things quickly. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you this. Let's see if you you may not know the answer. I don't know. We're 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 testing you, and I don't know the answer. She could just tell me whatever the hell you want. And I I'll just I believe it. <laughs> out of that 712 that survived, how many were men and how many were women? Mostly were women, and most of them were. Well, if you take the crew out, one of the things that they did was they put crewmen in each of the lifeboats in order to row the boats. You didn't want women filling a boat and not having being able to row. So they would were to put crewmen in each of the boats. Uh, but the, the big majority were women. And how, okay. How, and and children, how, women and okay. children. Okay. So the majority, so we don't know the exact number of women versus men, right? We do, but I got to click over to another screen to get to those. Okay. Screens. Okay. 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 So you don't know off the top of your head. You don't know off the top of your head. Um, how did they survive? What was the main means of survival? Was it because I think I, I don't know how many left in boats, but weren't there people that were just stayed in the water until they were re- Were there boats that 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 left with people on them? The um, the the boats came back and they recovered very few that had been in the water a long time. God, man. The, the most of them were placed into the boats on the ship and uh, very few were pulled out. Um, it was just not, by the time the boats went back, it was too late. The officer says that in the movie, Officer Lowe, we're too late, we're too late. And um, How far yeah. was shore? How far was shore from, from where the ship sank? to where the survivors were getting dropped off. Halifax was approximately 90 miles away. Holy shit. So, so sorry, excuse my French there, but but that's, that's 90 miles away on what pretty much would have been a rowboat. Correct. That's where they they could have rowed to that, but that, like you said, that would have taken days and days. Um, The distress call that was sent from the ship, the Marconi was something that, was not done in the 1800s and early 1900s. This was a very new novelty. And I I say novelty, but all the ships did it immediately. So as soon as the captain gave the order to send out the distress call, they would send out a CQD. In those days, come quickly, distress. That's like the emergency beacon. They also had sort of adopted this SOS call. And SOS was... Titanic was not the first SOS. It was uh, one of the first. Okay. There, was, uh, there was another ship or two that had used, had used it earlier. But the Carpathia was uh, about 58 miles away. And uh, immediately when Captain, it was a, just lucky that, that Carpathia heard about it. Um, one of the deck officers, one of the people, asked if he could go and could listen to the uh, wireless he was trying to pick up some of the words because they usually shut the wireless down about 11, 15, about 11 o'clock. Well, Titanic hit the iceberg at 1130. So at 1130, um, 
this man goes in and he starts listening just to pick up the different signals and the before the actual operator went to sleep and he says, are you picking up anything? And he said, Oh, somebody's telling them, you know, look forward to seeing you in New York and some other bloke wants to buy stock and, and, and things like that. And he said, um, it's really quite interesting. And all of a sudden um, they had a great person playing him in the movie a night to remember the man goes, and you can see the facial expression that he picked up the distress call. And as soon as he picks up the distress call, he, immediately grabs a pencil and he starts writing down what he's listening to. And so he jumps up, he runs up, he wakes up the captain, Captain Rostron of the Carpathia. My God, men, what are you doing in my cabin? He says, sir, it's Titanic. They struck a berg, sir. They're going down by the head. Wow. What are you sure? And Captain Rostron now sitting here in this little night dress, you know, that's what they wore in those days, uh-huh. long night shirt. And he hands him the thing and he says, you're sure about this? He said, yes, sir. He says, go and find out everything you can. Tell them we're on our way and we'll get there as quickly as we can. And this shows you a true hero. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Rostron standing there looks at the other officers who had immediately came come to, to figure out what's going on. He says, you go and do this and you go and do this and you go and do this. And I'm going to work out our course, set our course for Northwest put everything we have into this, go as fast as the engines will carry us. And they actually went faster than their rated top speed. Wow. And so once he goes up, he plots it and he gives them a direct course to where Titanic's coordinates were. And it took four hours to get there. That was the top speed of the Carpathia. But he, he said, find out everything that you can. And he had in his ship, he said, put extra blankets at each of the gangways, tell the passengers we're going to need them to stay in their cabins. If they're not going to help us, we're going to put on extra coffee. We're going to put on extra things, put extra lookouts because if ice sank Titanic, we might want to make sure it doesn't sink us. So here they've got people all over the place looking out for ice. Mm. They All the different things, put extra rope at the gangways. We don't know what we're going to have to do. And so Carpathia arrives at early sunrise. So they were only in the lifeboats for uh, about three hours from two thirty till about five thirty or five forty five ish, and as the the sky starts lightening up, um, lighting up, excuse me, lighting up, somebody said, "There's a ship. We can see the flashing lights of the ship." And so, in one ship, they took a hat and they lit the hat on fire, and they waved it to show them, "Here we are. Here we are. Let's row toward that ship." And it took a while to gather in the, the lifeboats. Uh-huh. And um, that's how they were saved. You know, I, I find this very interesting, more interesting than I thought I would find it. It's, it's you're, you just, the way you tell these stories and the, your knowledge is just fantastic. I, I, the detail that you've put into knowing these things. I want to talk about, um, you have, is it like a convention or like a show in Las Vegas that you're putting together? What we do every August is we have a Titanic conference. Okay. We've got, we call it Titanic Con. Um, it used to be Titanic Conference. There are several historical societies who do their conventions. So we wanted to have a different name so we would not invade in their territories. Sure. They do theirs at different times of the year than we do ours on purpose. 
and they each have great conventions and everything as well. But at Titanic Con, we usually do it in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Uh, they have lots of hotels, they have lots of meeting rooms, and then they have the Titanic attraction. And we can go over there. I'm friends with the owners uh, of the one in Tennessee and in uh, Branson, Missouri. And they do such a great job of telling the Titanic story. And we uh, they've treated us wonderfully, and we, we go there. But this year is the 25th anniversary of the raising of the big piece. August 10th is the day that this was raised in 1998. So I talked with the current CEO of the group that um, has the responsibility of taking care of the artifacts and putting them on display. Mm. Uh, Jessica Sanders, RMS Titanic Inc. is uh, the company. And she thought what a great idea it would be to do a celebration honoring Big Peace in the 25-year anniversary. So what we're going to do on day one, which is the ninth, is we're going to bring in some Titanic families. Uh, I found out in 2018 that I myself am related to someone on the ship. Oh, wow. You just just found out after already devoting most of your life to the, the, the Titanic. Is it maybe you think that maybe there's a connection as to why, uh, some some people feel that they're they're drawn to that ship. Yeah, and who knows? This may be the reason. Uh, one of the first class survivors, her name was Constance Willard. She had no children. She never married. Um, her branch of the Willard family lived Ohio, Minnesota, up north. My branch went south because of land. Um, we lost all of our land in the Civil War. You know, we were all poor, always poor dirt farmers. And when taxes went up after the Civil War, poor people don't have money to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had our only you know big plot. It wasn't a large plot of land, but it was large enough to live off of. Sure. And so uh, my family turned to working in mills and things like that. So that is my heritage is mill villages okay. and mill towns. Uh, but my family is from Horsmonden, Kent in England. So when I started tracing hers, I found a common name from Horsmonden, Kent, England. So wow. we do have a common ancestor. Now it's a distant relationship. We're sure. talking eight or nine re- generations back, but it's still a, an actual tie. So um, that was exciting probably to, to piece that together. I mean, being a Titanic historian and absolutely. finding out there was some a bloodline connected, that still is exciting. So in that first day, we're going to have Frank Goldsmith Jr., whose father, was nine years old on Titanic. So was his grandmother. He lost his, his grandfather died on it. Never met his grandfather. Of course, uh, we're, we've invited three or four other family members to come and talk about their family relations that were on Titanic. And they always do such a great story because they tell the family versions of their stories. In the past, we've had um, Helen Benzinger, who is a great granddaughter of Margaret Brown, Molly Brown, unsinkable Molly Brown is what people know her as. We've also had Joan Pope Randall, whose mother was Louise Kink Pope. And the kink story is incredible. She shared parts of it that nobody had ever heard. And we're just sitting here going, wow. Um, We've had a lot of those family members in the past and they just freely talk about their families and we adopt them. We adopt all those family stories. The second day, We're going to bring in people from the 96 and the 98 expeditions. I'm one of those. We're going to have several um, 
presentations of things that we did. And then we're also going to have panel groups where the public can ask questions to those people. In the evening, it's going to be an autograph session where people can buy the book that was based on the stories. Um, there'll be some other things there, posters and things like that. But the expedition team is going to sign autographs and pose for pictures and have quality time with our guests. Uh, we're only going to have 250 spots available for this conference, mainly because if we go up to the next size room, it doubles our cost. So I don't know if we can get 500 there, but if we can get 250, that'll be a great first year to do this. The third day is our special day. We have already reached out to several actors from the movie. And we've had two actors who uh, are definitely interested, want, have expressed that they want to be at the conference. We don't have their names signed on an agreement yet, but we're working toward crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And uh, we're going get to get it done. We just have to do those final things. We hope to have about five or six special guests from the movie who what we want them to do is to tell what they did making the movie, sort of like behind the scenes presentations. Um, one thing that people don't know, for example, in Titanic, the movie, Cal meets Rose on the deck and they get into an ugly little match and she spits on him. You know, she'd learned how to spit like a man. Right. So uh, he was, Billy Zane was asked one time about that scene and he sort of chuckled <laughs> and he said that scene took 27 takes. Oh my God. So she spit 27 times on him. And he went into detail about what they had to do because, you know, you just can't keep spitting. You lose your saliva. Yeah, yeah. They'd come up and give her a squirt bottle and it'd be a, a spray rather than a glob. Yeah. And so they'd try something else and it didn't work. And finally, it was the 27th take, I believe he said, that Cameron got one that he was pleased with. 27, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd like that too much. <laughs> well, like the, out of the first 20, I would have said, come on, one of those has to work. <laughs> let's, let's look back at those other ones. They're pretty good, yeah. I think. Uh, but those are the behind-the-scenes things that would endear those people to our audience. And if you think about it, Titanic had sort of been pushed back until it, you know, it was not in the news very greatly until it was discovered in the 80s. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of movies in the 70s, and then Cameron's movie in 1997 – brought an entire world um, yeah. with that word Titanic on their, on their, in their, in their speech. Uh, $4 billion is how much that movie raised and people would go and would go again and would go again. Yes. We have to admit that the love story is fiction, but everything surrounding it is historical truth. And he honored all those people that did not survive. And, uh, for that, these actors need, we thank you for what you've done. If we could get Cameron there, we'd give him an award for doing that. And uh, he made another movie called Ghosts of the Abyss, which shows a lot of his interior footage, which the Titanic geeks are all going, oh, it's the best thing we've ever seen. But not a lot of people went to see that as they did the other movie. But if we could get Cameron there, we would give him an award for bringing Titanic, the story, to light in the 20th century and now the 21st century again.
do you think that it is and we're a little over our time but that's okay I got, I got this question for you is it because the titanic is obviously history it's a part of real history where real people died okay um and there's real survivors uh tragic event and then you have the movie that came out okay is there a line that you that you that you want to draw between when with the convention real versus the movie? Because some people may relate to it more as the movie, where it's really historical events that you're wanting to uh, enlighten and 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 show as part of a showcase. Really, I guess a lot of our uh, people that will attend, we call it the conference family that they come every year because they have such a great time meeting people. So we have a nucleus that always comes and we always add in new people and they are welcomed and loved and want to try to get back every year. But we've got a lot of people that'll sit there with a notepad and write down what the discrepancies are in some movies of Titanic. This did not happen. This was wrong. This was wrong. Uh, CBS tried to do something when they heard about Cameron's movie coming out in December, about a month or so earlier, they launched a mini series a couple of nights, Titanic. And I think Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it. Uh, George C. Scott, the great George C. Scott, played the captain. And uh, Tim Curry was in it. And I love Tim Curry's acting. He is just so fantastic in everything he does. But sadly, in this, he had a totally fictional role of a bad guy, of a very bad guy. Right. And uh, all of it was complete fiction. And there were people that believed what they saw there. They had uh, the wrong people saying important lines. They had um, just, just totally really a fictional account using the ship. And so our, his, our people, our Titanic family will say, don't watch the miniseries, watch the Cameron movie, watch the movie, a night to remember. Those are accurate and awesome things to watch. So, they, they know a lot of it. And if somebody says, tell me what's not real in this movie, they will sit down and say, oh, well, here are some things that you definitely need to know the difference in. And our family adopts them and pulls them in that way. And it's not a, oh, you <laughs> we, we, we'll get people coming into some of these groups and they'll go, I'm an expert. Uh, Jack and Rose were real. And they did that for a long time after the movie came out. That Jack and Rose were real people. You know, people will go through lengths just to believe anything sometimes. And Jack and Rose is obviously just part. You would, in movies, especially when that was made, need a love story. Otherwise, no one's watching it. I mean, even all movies, a lot of movies have, have love stories. And uh, uh, that was the love story for the Titanic. It made the Titanic a better movie. I mean, that's what people want to go watch. They want to see love stories, you know, but absolutely other things. Absolutely. There's one great thing that still is happening about Titanic. Uh, Mythbusters did uh, uh, an, one of their uh, shows about could both Jack and Rose have fit on that piece, that wooden piece that right. she was on that he was holding on to the side of. Yeah, they were fine. So they, they do, you know, but this is now at the end when she's laying on the, the piece of wood and he's, he's dying. Okay. 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 Oh, got, oh, gotcha. 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 That piece. Could both have fit on that piece of wood and they got a piece of wood and they put it in a pool and they got two people to climb out there and to show, could they do that? And so Cameron has argued this point 
He has recently got several scientists together to talk about the same issue. It is bothering him that people are saying, yeah, both of them could have fit on it. But I liked what Don Lynch said. Don Lynch is another very, very uh, respected and renowned historian. Um, I wish I had a tenth of, of the knowledge that he has because he's met so many of the Titanic survivors. He's in California where quite a few of them went to live. But uh, Don Lynch said, every Shakespearean, the greatest Shakespearean stories were all a tragedy because the main hero had something died. Romeo, Macbeth, Mm -hmm. Hamlet, Julius Caesar, they all had to die in the end. And that's what made the drama. That's what made the tragedy. Mm -hmm. That's what made it an incredible Shakespearean story. Yeah. And this was similar to those. It was a tragedy. Could could there have been someone named Jack on the ship? Sure. Could there have been someone named Rose? Could they have crossed paths at one point? Possible. It's possible, right? But was there a love story? Probably not. There was never going to be a third-class person in first class, though. That would not have happened. There. It was interesting that there was a tremor. Now, Titanic had these coal bunkers, the coal, they'd fill the coal up. And as they would take coal to fuel the boilers, sometimes the coal wouldn't shift and, 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 you know, settle down like it should. So the trimmers had to climb down in those bunkers. They came out covered in soot all the time and they would take their shovels and and different things to move the coal around to try to even it out. So the ship wouldn't be off balance. So the trimmers had an important job. There was a trimmer named Joseph Dawson. Okay. Cameron did not know that. Joseph Dawson's body was recovered um, some days after the ship sank. White Star hired some ships to go out and recover um, quite a few of the bodies. That they, they recovered ones that they found. Uh, Jay Dawson is buried in Halifax at the Fairview Lawn Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And from the day of this movie, even until today, girls will take flowers and put them at the grave of Jay Dawson. That wasn't Jack. This was a crewman. This was a crewman named Joseph. But because of the Jay Dawson, yeah, they put the flowers on his grave thinking that the, he represents Jack Dawson. Wow. Well, like, like I said, people will do anything to believe what they, what they want to believe and make up their own stories in their mind. Unlike you, once again, I'm going to show this our story, and it does say celebrating the 20th anniversary of the 1998 Titanic expedition. You have been Mr. Bill Willard. Wonderful to have on our show. If anybody wants to know more about the Titanic, uh, go to the convention that's going on or go get the book. It's everywhere. It's, it's online, right? Let me say one last thing. I'm going to sure. right before you hit your close button. Sure. VoyagesExploreTitanic.com is our website. One word, VoyagesExploreTitanic.com. And you can find a link to the book. You can find a link to TitanicCon23, which will tell about our conference. And uh, it'll show a great promotional video. And it'll be a place to register if you want to attend. We'd love to have you out there, Sebastian. Come out and do a live show. Hey, well, you know, you know, I do those. I do live shows. And so I'm actually going to a podcasting convention. Uh, it's a podcasting convention, but I go to concerts and stuff too in March. So that'd be really fun. Rockin' Pod in Nashville, Tennessee will be there on uh, St. Patrick's Day and that weekend. So n- website one last time. Give it to me. 
voyagesexplorititanic.com. There you go. All right, Bill, please stay right there till after the outro song plays. Let's see if I don't screw up the, the, uh, my uh, outro, like I messed up the intro here. I want to thank everybody that listens to our podcast. Like I said, we're on all platforms. I want to thank Pantheon Podcast Network. I also want to thank my producer, Sam, all of our guests. Bill, you have been wonderful. That's all the time we got. Please stay right there. Peace out, rock on, and much love. This is the Loud Spot outro by Nothing Short of Tragic. Is this all talk with no action? No. Is this my thoughts with distraction? No. Is this what I bought that's in fashion? Or is this the loud spot with Sebastian? Yes. Does nothing short of tragic have his back again? Yes. Does everything that's good really have to end? Yes. A pin post has to pin show, so to get more episodes, make an order, this is over. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.